Hello and welcome to Hey Art, What's Good? We are a podcast based in the northeast of England where we like to see what's good with art. My name's Alice. My name's Rosie. And we have a, a slew of guests today. Um, hmm, how we do this? Do you want to introduce yourselves in alphabetical order, maybe? Just so then you know who goes first. <laughs> <laughs> Is that me first then? <laughs> yep. So hello, um, I'm Erin Dixon and I am an artist based in the Northeast. Surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, I'm Kev Howard. I'm a photographer and musician artist, uh, again based in the Northeast on the coast. And hello, my name is Michaela Weatherall. I am a curator based in Sunderland, which is also in the northeast. <laughs> oh my god, what a weird theme. <laughs> Coincidence. <laughs> well, it's great to have you all here. Uh, before we kind of start talking about what we're going to talk about, we like to uh, begin episodes by talking about something good or cool or just anything we want to shout about. Uh, my cool thing is... Uh, for the benefit of you guys who I'm talking to, it was this really cool, like, travel mug that I've yeah. got. I don't know if you can see Aww. a cool little goat on it. Guys, and it'll be um, on the Instagram, don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. It's just from one of my uh, favourite coffee shops in Newcastle, and it's, like, one of the, like, thermosy things. It's got, like, a lid you can screw on and that. But it's, like, ceramic on the inside, so it's apparently not supposed to get, like, the weird coffee smell you get when you um, have, like, a, a metal flask. So pretty happy with it. It was mildly expensive, but I'm using it literally every day. So yeah. it was mildly expensive mean actually it was ridiculously expensive. Yeah. <laughs> look how look how yellow it is. And you got it. It's very nice. It's very much my yeah. colour, so I'll take yeah. it. And that's the that is the canny goat, by the way. Support local. Oh yes. It's so cute. It's a good one. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's my good thing. I'm gonna pick on someone. Erin, what's your good thing? My good thing, I'm going to stick with the theme of purchases because I bought myself a pair of retro inline skates and they're the best thing <gasps> I've ever bought in my life. Oh my oh. God. Yes. That's and so I had cool. this feeling yeah. that I would be an expert at it as a 33 year old woman, <laughs> 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 which I can tell you I am not compared to my 12 year old self. I've got a lot further to fall. Right. <laughs> 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 I went ice skating like before the pandemic and it's like oh my god like it's actually like, falling down is actually so scary like I don't I'm not even a tall human but it's a long way <laughs> turns out I've been watching videos five. what <laughs> yeah you have to apparently practice falling down so I need to go out and do that but I need to find a really Aww. secluded spot <laughs> <laughs> not the glass center car park no, <laughs> I provided some entertainment for us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome though. I've seen a few people uh, on Instagram like get some skates in like the past year or so. I'm like, that's such a cool hobby to take up. Love it. Yeah, I think it takes you back to your childhood because I know in the 90s that sort of style thing is coming back in again. So it was mostly mm. kind of a style choice without any sort of understanding yeah, yeah. of what I was going to if you will yeah yeah <laughs> but I really recommend it it is great fun your skates are beautiful as well like they are a piece of art in and of themselves <laughs> I will cry when I scratch them but it's bound to happen oh, <laughs> <God. Add> character. <laughs> yeah. it shows the being used though when they scratch it's like every scratch has got a story loved yeah. <laughs> it's like you don't want like a pristine skateboard you want like a beaten up skateboard exactly 
Nice. Uh, Michaela, you got anything you'd like to share? Um, I'll, I've got some art news, but I'll keep that to the end. Um, okay. And I'll tell you about my absolute obsession, which Erin knows very much about, mm-hmm. uh, that I have fallen madly and deeply into the hole of the Real Housewives franchises. <gasps> oh, wow. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes, I support you. I also love trash reality TV. I've only watched Atlanta, though. Now, I've watched all of the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Nice. Completely and utterly loved it. I loved every minute of it. I have absolutely <laughs> nothing in common with any of these women. And I'm just like, I love these women. And the new series starts in May, so I'm very, very, very excited. And I am like right in, right at the end, as in being watching it every single day. Now, normally oh, wow. I would have a life <laughs> and go to work <laughs> and not watch as much TV. But as I'm stuck in the house working, I have watched nearly every single season where there's 12, I believe, of The Real Housewives in New York. And wow. again, absolutely <laughs> lovely. And I have absolutely no shame <laughs> that I've oh, watched no. all of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I love about you, Michaela. Like, that you, you're one of the few people I know that proudly watches reality TV. I do that. My friend Emma does that. Shout out to Emma who probably doesn't listen to this because she's too busy watching Watch trash it. TV. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've just started watching Botch too. Oh, is two plastic surgeons who have consultations with people who've had janked up plastic surgery. Ooh. And it is horrible and it's disgusting and it's so vain of these people. I've, I shouldn't <laughs> say that because um, but we're talking about, you know, having ginormous boobies and... <laughs> yep, um, and took things and all that stuff each to their own but it's it's quite revolting and I love it <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's pretty good what about you Kev? me I've just while you were sort of talking there I've rediscovered um jaw harps Those oh teeny tiny instrument I'm aware things. of what they are but no idea how one would use them Stick it in your gob and you twang it a bit. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I started playing one of these years and years ago, and I was like, I just literally found one at the back of a stack of records, which is this one. And I just thought, ooh. And I put it away, and then I didn't know this question was coming. So it's literally just been on the side next to the computer there. Oh, so it perfect. kind of, of sounds like this. Oh my God. That's sick. (laughs) That's my cool thing. (laughs) I mean, that's really damn cool. Thank you so much. Love this. No worries. But as I said, I didn't know that was coming, so that was literally just sort of sat there. That's yeah. probably one of the best answers to that question we've yeah. ever had. <laughs> With a live demonstration as well. <laughs> well, Rosie beat that. Go on then, Rosie. I, can't, I literally can't. Like, I, should I sing myself out? <laughs> oh, so sorry. <laughs> um, oh, well, okay. I think I'm going to be inspired by Michaela's What's Good, because recently... Me and my partner Jacob have been binging 
Arnold Schwarzenegger films. Woo! And it's been amazing. He's he can be wholesome, he can be badass, he doesn't take himself too seriously. And it's just like the content I need right now. Also, I'd never seen Total Recall. Oh. Oh. Do I think I've only seen the remake? It's class. It might be one of my new favorite films. It's Ooh. just a fun sci-fi. Like I, that's what I've been watching a lot of because that's kind of led us down a like Nick Cage and now a Bruce Willis sort of direction. Mm. So like we're just we're going for it. I don't know where oh, this but... is going to take us, but I'm excited. You, you took a left at Nick Cage and now you're on Bruce Willis. Yeah, like I don't know how we got here. <laughs> Tell me. But also we insist on calling them by their first names like they're our friends. So it's Arnie, mm. Brucey, and Nick. Oh, Brucey. I'm sure he appreciates that. <laughs> yeah, and I keep saying, like, you could do it, Brucey. And I don't think Jacob knows I'm quoting Matilda. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't need to know that. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to, like, keep secret. doing it. And, like, I could do it for years and years and, like, reveal it to him. When we're, like, I know, 50. Don't, even, don't reveal it. Just watch Matilda one day and you'll be like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> even better. Yes, Alice. <laughs> Perfect. That's what's good with well, me. Well... <laughs> Well, what's even better than Arnold Schwarzenegger films is nice this thing we talked about today. I like to try and do a segue, but it's been a while, so I'm a bit rusty. Um, so we're here to talk about um, a great exhibition called What Does It Mean to Be Working Class, which is being curated by Michaela mm. at Pink Collar Gallery and includes work by Kevin Aaron. So, Michaela, do you want to break down what this exhibition is and kind of how it like came about? Sure. Yeah. Um... So in my career, I had been doing a little bit about uh, working class narratives and identities uh, with also uh, Mark Parham, who was one of the artists on the show. We've been kind of working together over the years and he kind of delved, delved into the working class thing. And then it was always like, because obviously we're all from the Northeast and working class is a big part up here and a lot of artists are. So it's kind of like, embedded like we know we're from these backgrounds and it's never really been talked about how like amazing that is but you know in some parts art is completely elitist and it's only for the middle class or the higher classes and we are seen as something like other and it wasn't until I start I always look at jobs always I'm happy in my jobs at the minute but I always look at them and it's it was it was around the time of like the Black Lives Matter movement and people kind of really addressing like we need diversity which we do need so a lot of job application forms were like we need people with disability we want black people we want you know we, we want all these which is brilliant and that needs to be in every sort of application form but then it said at the end um and or working class and I was mm. like well, you can prove your ethnicity, you can prove your disability, you can prove this and that, like, like you have to. But how do you prove that you work in class? Like, is it what your mum did? Did you go to uni? Now you're, you're struck off the list? Is it because you've got an accent? So that was just kind of in my head. And I think one of the first people I ever talked about it to was Kev, because we were doing an exhibition, the very first exhibition for Pink Collar, and I was like, I've got this idea. And then he was like, I've got this idea. And then I was like, let's kind of, and then kind of found another artist, another artist, and and then um, went for some funding for it and luckily got it. And then that's kind of what's happened with this exhibition. Yeah. 
a success story, by the way. Absolutely fabulous. <laughs> um, but I really like I'm like I really like what you said there about like how do you prove it? Like how can you know? Because and I'm glad that was addressed by like the artists and the voices that were included in this included in this exhibition because that's something I really struggle with. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like, well, I feel like this podcast wouldn't have come about anywhere else but the north and the north of England, particularly because it's like we, you know, this weird class system is so uniquely British and the way we view like social mobility and things like that is, I don't know if fascinating is the right word, but it's it's interesting. And what I wanted to do with fine artists, I didn't want to, to be like, this is this is working class, this is what working class means, because it means so different to other people, and I, mm-hmm. I, I, positive or negative, like, what does it mean to them, certain individuals, because it means different things to different people. I would consider myself working class, but I could talk to my partner, and he'd be like, you're not working class, like, to him, I'm not working class, yeah. like, because he had a bit more of a different upbringing than I did, mm-hmm. and you know, if we all went to uni and that, does that mean we've kind of stepped up in quotation marks? Mm. And I don't know if it's actually that we should just abolish this. Like, we shouldn't talk about it because it's stupid, isn't it? Is it more generational things that are the issues more than the class mm. system? So I'd never wanted to say that this was the right way, this is the wrong way, but it's it, it needs to be talked about because it's quite a weird thing to other people. Yeah. <laughs> And it's just that, yeah, just like actually talking about it, like we don't have to come to a decision just yet, but it's one of those things where it's usually like kind of, it's not necessarily something that someone someone else says you are, like, oh, you're working class, but there's always that kind of judgment based on a variety of factors. So where you live, like people would just generally say the Northeast is like, oh, all working class people, like minors, this, that, and the other. Um, and especially with war accents, like uh, this is why I, we could jump in talking about some uh some pieces but uh Erin your work for this one was amazing first of all well done um but it's definitely one of those things like, I'm fairly certain we've all probably experienced it just having listened to all of us speak mm-hmm. um just a kind of like I remember I went to uni I went to uni in Leeds so you know uh West York I was gonna say North Yorkshire West Yorkshire beautiful Yorkshire accents but I did like a film degree and most of my class were from the South, if not specifically London. So I was like, oh yeah, I watched this film last week. It's like, oh, film. Like, just say that again, like yeah. two syllables. <laughs> and just like, oh, book. Got this book out the library and just That's stuff like that. I was like, it's like, is this is this funny? <laughs> like, I face that all the time with um, sketchbook. Because it's like, what are you yeah. doing, Rosie? I'm doing some sketchbook work and they're like, book. And like I had to like find the things that some I really like to combat it. I'd be like, because all my friends were from like the north as well, just not as northern. Mm-hmm. So like I have be like, I think my friend Charlie would be like booger duck instead of you know like <laughs> hooker duck the like game. Uh-huh. So like if she ever said anything about sketchbook, I'm like booger duck. <laughs> all accents are silly actually I think you'll find Ucka Duck yeah. <laughs> literally but yeah I particularly loved Erin's piece and I actually want to say generally Erin your work is very memeable um, oh. <laughs> and I say this 
I say this because this piece in particular has become a meme in my household. <gasps> oh, so. That's so amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I watch so many memes that <laughs> this probably filtered through. I changed well, my rollerblade a little bit. <laughs> I think you should put it on your CV as well, artist meme. <laughs> so yeah, I'd love you to tell us about the work and where it came from, and I'd love to like discuss it a little bit more. Yeah, so I think the same as everyone here. Um, I've always had this issue with my accent um, and I'm actually putting on a posh one now, which is very weird. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, it's always been a struggle and the same as you guys. Like when I was at university, I would have a real struggle um, talking to other people. I went to quite a, a multicultural um, univer- university um, and my accent was just impossible for a lot of people. <laughs> And then kind of growing up and then getting into, you know, working in academia and also just being an artist who works in the world and works with some international people. There's definitely been occasion where I haven't been able to communicate because of the accent. And it's frustrating because it's like I am speaking English. And is it my responsibility to change my accent for you or is it your responsibility to try and learn a broader range of accents particularly in the UK so I am yeah I was really interested in in exploring that and I've wanted to explore it for a long time so uh, I worked with a voice coach called Nicola Redman who was on Instagram please go and follow her Um, and she was fantastic she doesn't agree with uh, reducing accents she thinks all accents are beautiful and that's part of her thing but because for this particular work she really was excited to work with me in a process that's called accent reduction or accent elimination uh, so I tried to speak posh bit of RP received pronunciation and it didn't work it didn't take obviously um, but it was a it was a much funnier process than I ever could have imagined going into it I thought it was going to be very serious but um, trying to change boat to boot was just ridiculous and um, yeah it, it was really funny because it was like yeah <laughs> oh, hello and a, hello I can't do it I need to practice but um, but it was it was really funny to find that I was either I've got a sand dancer accent so my South Shields accent or the Queen there was no in between <laughs> when I was watching it I was doing it with you and it is hard. it was like a, like an online class it was great yeah, it was really <laughs> fun um and silly like you said like it was and I like that about it like it was light-hearted um but that's you just got me excited there because you literally just did part of the meme because like me and Jacob now just turn to each other and we're like hello my name is Erin <laughs> <laughs> so I'll just like walk that is so function. good <laughs> hello my name is Erin like, like that you're saying my name <laughs> <laughs> not hello my name is Rosie or anything <laughs> well, and it got me thinking like because some people and I love it like really Geordie people like Alice's dad call me like Rosie Rosie mm. and I love that and like I remember a little girl like when I was in primary school and like there was a really Geordie girl because I'm from like the coast and it, the accent's a little bit different I think um and this girl was like proper proper Geordie 
And like, she was the only one there that properly broke up my name in like Rosie. And I'd ask <laughs> her to say my name all the time and I didn't know why, <laughs> but it's because I love the accent. <laughs> so oh. there we are. Well, I love um, in this piece where so you're learning a bit of a bit of RP and you kind of test out your, your newfound skills by ordering a, a drink from a drive through Starbucks. And I love, first of all, uh, like the glee on your face yeah. when you are understood and get given a coffee. But then I think I love, by contrast, the really like northern sounding person who hands you a drink. He's like, oh, uh, here you go, like pet or here you go, love or something. And you're like, oh, have a nice day. And I'm like, oh, see, I mean, because it's, it's just funny. Like you're trying to, um, obviously, it's it's the point is being this like it's kind of like putting on like a, a disguise almost but like yeah. a, a voice disguise um to like try like be more understood and stuff but um but, it kind of be a, but a then like, northern tones that's it and then you hear this guy speak and then you're just like why wouldn't you want to sound like that yeah. <laughs> and I think I don't think I was at all convincing by the way because when I spoke my <laughs> order I could hear just as like I started to drive away somebody go hmm <laughs> so, <I'm just> <laughs> oh <laughs> well, I was convinced I do think like with Erin's work like it's quite a serious thing like people will pay to get their accents changed and yeah. like it's it's like uh, uh when it's like call centers isn't it like you are mm. that's why they're up here because we sound friendly and like but then when it's like I want a manager it, it goes mm. to someone who has like a uh, posh accent or like a not mm. much of a thick accent and it's crazy in that video because it shows how funny it is to like <laughs> that you can change it but like there's people who will just basically look down on you because you have a slight twang and you're always kind of like apologizing like can you understand this like luckily uh, when I'll go to Denmark for the uh, art fair I do with platform air gallery uh, they're absolutely lush, mind you, proper <laughs> lovely people. And they're just like, yeah, I totally understand you. I'm sure they're lying. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> the Danish but, uh, aren't lying because a lot of our Danish, a lot of northern words are from Danish. So tar oh, is yeah. Yeah, yeah, and also sort of Danish, Norwegian and German. Yeah, oh, like, and oh, yem. The, the, we say yem men, and yeah. it's the same in Danish oh, as well. Yeah. They say yem. probably sound better over there then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you're almost like, hey, I'm sorry, you understand this. And like, I don't, I, I'm like got the opposite. I go like, when I go, go away, my accent goes thicker. It's like an arm. Oh, really? just like, I'm not changing this. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I don't I don't know why, but <laughs> but uh, you're probably like, oh, you're going to understand this and that, but I'm not going to be like, yes. <laughs> yeah I think that although the video was um entertaining and funny and it, it, that's kind of something that I play off a little bit like the process was really difficult and I was doing it for fun but then you've got to think about all these people who are actually like literally asked by their workplace to change their accent and obviously that's a class issue but obviously a, a race issue as well um oh, yeah, and, I, and I, I um did two one-hour sessions um and I got to say hello sort of and I didn't really get it down but you can you can imagine that if this was something you actually had to do how infuriating it might be that you have to like, kind of totally soften yourself in order to get your point across mm -hmm. it's like it would be like speaking in another language 
that's that's what I was gonna say. Yeah, it's kind of like um like at, at the end of the video when like you you've like you've thought you've got a got away with it, like oh I did that accent and they understood us and I did it. Uh it's kinda like if you've ever been abroad and try and like ask for something in another language and when if they respond in English, it kind of kills your soul just a little bit. But then if they don't, it's like I did it. Oh my god, they think I'm one of them. It's great. But it's it's kind of like it's like that kind of mentality. <laughs> Definitely. And you, you, I mean hide. Oh, sorry. No, all I was going to say there was like, I mean, this is in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, I lived in sort of like northern Arizona for a little while. And I met a guy there who was from South Durham. He'd not been home for over 25 years, I think it was. Oh, wow. So his accent was, it was kind of, there was some, you know, really, really, really faint sort of uh northeast accent there but it had largely gone and it was very americanized mm. but within the first few conversations we had it went from this americanized with a say it's almost like a little bit of glitter of northeast accent mm-hmm. on it to being really thick southeast Dur- or south durham oh, wow. accent yes. you know within literally a couple of conversations but he got to the point where his wife couldn't understand a word either <laughs> one of us was saying <laughs> And oh, it, but wow. you know, he, but you know, he was saying this it's first time, you know, for say for like twenty years or something like that, that he's spoken in what he could, what he said was his native tongue, you know, where <laughs> people could, you know, where he could be himself with his with his normal and his accent changed, you know, really really rapidly, um, just with being with you know another few people from the northeast really, and you know, and I was over there with another Geordie, but also with one of my mates from school. Who I'd not seen for donkeys years, so he had two tea ciders and <laughs> another Geordie, and then as I said the guy from sort of South Durham, who all of a sudden became very South Durham very quickly. You know, but well, it's taking Arizona how, by how storm. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Nobody knew anything we were saying at any time. <laughs> no, yeah, we had a, an American girl from New Jersey live with us for a couple of years at uni, and just like, yeah, for the first two months, I just did not know what anyone was saying. But then, you know, <laughs> she then understood us, and to this day, can yeah. still understand us. So it just takes a, yeah. a bit, just a bit of listening, really. I think. Yeah. It's learning a foreign language, isn't it, in English? <laughs> it kind of is. Uh, yeah. Me, sister's come up with uh, the, the perfect Geordie phrase, which is almost entirely, like, not uh, proper words. Hwe man pet wai gan agan is great because it's yeah. uh, See, she... Just, but we understand every word. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean... <laughs> Like it, it's it's part of the culture, and yeah. as we've just learned, it's part of like older cultures from elsewhere in the world. So it's no less valid than anything else that other people speak. So yeah, um, yeah, it's a good one. Love Geordie man. And Magum, thank you. Love the northern ones, of all. Oh, totally. Well, you know, my mum and dad. My mum was a Magum, and my dad was from North Yorkshire. So. My accent is kind of, and words I use kind of flip between sort of mm-hmm. like North Yorkshire and sort of like Sunderland areas. Because I think my mum was brought up in, oh, so I think, in and around Red House over that area, I think, and sort yeah, of like yeah. Grange Town, mm-hmm. up, up that sort of a way. And, you know, a lot of my rallies still live over that way. So, mm-hmm. you know, so their, their accents are really, really thick. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's great, man. We've got so much variety up here. Oh, Absolutely. 
I'd love to hop in to talking about uh, your work, uh, actually. Um, you yeah. have done a great series of like portrait photographs. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about kind of like what the, the overarching kind of theme was and what your approach to it was? Yeah, um, well, I guess the original idea, because it actually, it, it's, I think it's important to give a background of something that actually didn't happen before this did happen, <laughs> really. Um, and it, you know, and it didn't happen because of obviously with COVID. So my original plan was to photograph people from sort of like working class background, but specifically working class and disabled, because then you've got a minority group within a minority group. And it would, and for me, it's like, it was really important to try and break down the, you know, the stereotypical, you know, people think that people with disabilities, they don't work, they're on benefits, all that sort of rubbish. Um, and assured, you know, actually that's really not the case. Um, but then when we went into lockdown, it meant a lot of the people I'd, um, I'd spoken to who were really interested in being part of the project and wanting to, you know, really give themselves to the project were then in shielding. So I had to really think, how can we do this? Um, and I kind of, I'm, I still really want to do that project. I still think it's got real validation in doing so, but I think that's, you know, a little bit further down the line. Um, something to look forward to. So, yeah, it, it's something <laughs> which, I mean, the, you know, the planning part of it's kind of been done to a large degree. Um, so there's, you know, the, the foundation's there, so it's got something to be built upon. Um, so then I had to really rethink because I couldn't travel neither, and that was the thing. Um, so, you know, some of the people I'd sourced were in Newcastle over Bishop Auckland, where down in uh, North, South Yorkshire. Um, and then there was going to be one person over in Cumbria, which meant a lot of traveling. Um, so, yeah, so when I couldn't do that, I then kind of, you know, had a bit of a panic um, and then sort of thought, well, how can I do this? And do it to give because you know the important thing was to actually give the people on photographing voices, and then I kind of thought, well, let's take it local to, you know, uh, working class artists that I do know, which are all within the Teesside area. Um, so then it, it sort of switched over, and you know, obviously that the focus is still on the working classes, but working classes of the creative people here, and what was really important was to have the people have their statement in their voices where appropriate. Some some of the people weren't very comfortable with narrating the words, so Michaela did a wonderful job of that. Thank you so much. In a wonderful <laughs> Macam accent, so it's still Northern. <laughs> but, but what was really important was the photographs there as a hook, but the actual content is the words behind the photograph. And I think the way that, you know, Michaela's kind of, you know, curated that is an absolute stroke of genius because, you know, the words are really the important part. Um, so, you know, so as I say, I kind of went out and photographed people in a COVID-safe manner, um, but gathered their, their, you know, their statements. But the statements were totally unguided and totally unedited. It was what they wanted to say and... I, for me personally, I didn't think it was right for me to be able to guide it in any way, shape or form. Um, and it gives the working class artist a blank canvas to say whatever they want, however they want. 
Um, so that's how that whole thing came about. So it was, as I say, it wasn't the original project idea, um, but I think because things changed, I think it went into a another area which I might not have actually sort of explored in the way that I did. Um, so in some respect, it was actually a godsend to do that because it give working class artists from Teesside a real voice into what they do, their creativity, and exp you know um, put that out in a way that they really wanted to. Um, and as I say, totally unabated and unedited. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I love, yeah, I was like, oh, these photos are nice. And I clicked on each of them. I was like, oh, there's a whole thing back here as well. It's amazing. Yeah. It was wonderful. Um, it was oh, great uh, recognising a few faces as well. Um, yeah. it, it was Bo Bobby Benjamin. Uh, was yeah. his portrait taken in Pineapple Black? It was, yeah. I mean, I one, of the <laughs> yeah. one of the things that I thought was really important as well was to have the portraits taken in places where the artist has actually got a real strong connection to. Mm -hmm. um, so, for example, you know, with Bobby, we'd sort of thought maybe Gresham, but then we thought, well, actually, Pineapple Black is, you know, it's it's so much about what, Bobby, what Bobby's been doing for the last few years with Steve. So it just felt really appropriate to be there. Um, so I literally mm -hmm. just took a small studio light over and did that. I think that was the only shot that I did that was actually sort of constructed using studio technique and pretty much everything else was was generally using natural light, mm -hmm. uh, to be honest. And I think the only photograph that was done off, um, well, actually, there was three photographs which were done just prior to the first lockdown because um, I really wanted the, the people that were in the... Uh, in the photographs to be part of the project and originally I would have travelled out to see them but because mm. I couldn't uh, there was two photographs taken of uh, one of Catherine Barnett and Simon McEwen which were over at um, Beamish yeah. so I did a project oh, right. I was going to ask about before. those ones yeah particularly yeah. loved uh, Catherine's portrait with yeah it's, it's beautiful Amongst yeah. all the other vehicles, I just think it's, yeah. that is so beautiful. <clears throat> oh, totally. And the thing is, is like you know, some of those vehicles are from the very late nineteenth century, mm -hmm. and and I, I guess just for the for the people that are listening, all of them are invalid carriages, um, of which was part of an exhibition that Simon was uh, doing. So it was part of the travelling exhibition which he was doing of the history of invalid carriages. Um, so the last show that we did was over at Beamish for that. Um, so it's you know so it's really interesting that you've got Catherine in ultra modern electric chair, mm -hmm. and then just behind her you've got chairs from the twenties, thirties, and eighteen seventy nine. Is the oh, oldest whoa. one, yeah. I think. And she sits um, so comfortably among it all. Like she's just so oh, totally. she's just yeah. owning it. And I just yeah, I think that was possibly one of my favorite photographs of the series. Oh, thank you. <laughs> It's a, yeah, I mean, to be, I, I absolutely love that photograph as well, to be honest with you. It's a beautiful um, um, series of work. So if you can Google uh, Simon's work, um, it's amazing. And I got the chance to go up and see them all in the flesh because we had some oh. of them in an uh, exhibition we did at Soul Foundation for Let's Just Disability. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which is where I met Kev. So it was pretty. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and I've been hanging around like a bad smell ever since. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But um, <laughs> I, yeah, I got to go up and see them, and uh, and yeah. Simon told us like the individual stories and that, and I'm sure it'll be on a website or 
or something. I don't know if you've yeah. got a link. Well, well Simon's, yeah, I mean, the, the original plan was those, uh, the images and everything was going to go into a book, which I think still going to happen. Um, but there was a fair bit of other work that needed to be done, but because of like the lockdowns and obviously COVID secure places, um, Simon and his partner have been in shielding throughout certainly the, the last nine, 10 months or so. So that's kind of gone on the back burner a little bit. Um, but it is going to be, you know, sort of part of that. And then he's, he's planning doing something much, much bigger as well, which I can't really say, but <laughs> I'm really sort of like uh, honoured to be part of that oh. as well. Um, but then the other photograph was of Bob Beagree, where we had, was when re, uh, the, the restrictions dropped last summer. So we ended up uh, recording an album over at this church. Just it's I can't remember where it is in North Yorkshire, but it's uh, a church from the 7th or 8th century, I think. So it's like oh, an old Norman yeah. church. So the photograph of Bob Beagree is he stood in one of the aisles and it's literally lit just from the natural light coming in from the uh, windows. Um, it's very, very dramatic windows. and like sharp. Yeah. It yeah. looks awesome. Yeah. And I like um they're all uh black and white. Is that do you usually work um <clears throat> sorry, with a like with black and white kind of uh photographs or editing? Or do you think um, it was like particular for this project? No, I'm I'm a total black and white freak, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, oh one of those. <laughs> I am I'm one of those. No, the mad thing is is like I mean I you know, I um I studied photography in nineteen eighty one. Uh, for three years until no two years until 83 and then went back to re-study in 1991 I think it was um, so my background is all film and mm. I just you know I, I love black and white film um, but you know the industry's moved on massively and it's really expensive to work in black and white uh, as a film photographer yeah. Um, and most projects that you get don't have the budget to pay for the film in that sort of a way. Um, yeah. But I've still got my old film cameras and I still use them. Um, but for this particular body of work, black and white was, it was for me, it was an absolute no-brainer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I prefer to work in black and white. But in saying that, the last, I think the last couple of um, projects I've done have all been in colour. Um, so it's kind of, I'll, I'll switch between the two, but I've got a much heavier slant in black and white. I, I feel more comfortable photographing in black and white. Yeah. No, I'm with you there. I don't know if you can see, but on my shelf up there is just a bunch of old film cameras. Um, I can, which, yes. I, which I use all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, there is something about black and white, and especially in this kind of like documentarian sort of um, context, it works super duper oh, well. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. I think... One of my fave photographs is uh, George Dalton's. He's in, he's in yeah. a, a back lane. Because uh, oh, I think Gordon. that's such... Gordon, sorry. Um, yeah. Gordon Dalton's. Because it's such a... Uh, to me, that's just such a quintessential northeastern scene. You've got your terrace houses, you've got your yeah. cobbly lanes, you've got the bins out, and I just I just love it. Yeah. Yeah, well, originally, I mean, as I say, it's like we sort of planned, you know, where, you know, people really wanted to be photographed. Um and I think with Gordon, originally it was going to be down on the beach because he spends a lot of time down there, as, as I do myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think it was the day before he just said, look, can I switch it to 
um, you know, the, the back of the houses because, you know, it's like I've been switched between the two and I didn't really want to be that, uh, what, what did he say? Sort of like that stereotypical sense, but the alleys here are just incredible. Yeah. And it's like, I just feel a real draw more so than the beach is that doable. And it's just like not an issue, mm-hmm. you know, so we literally photographed at, at the back of his house. And one of the great things um, sort of, you know, where, where we live, because I live in the same town as Gordon, is there's still quite a lot, especially in in the back alleys and um, I guess the, the go-through routes uh, between sort of like streets are still heavily cobbled with some of them. Mm-hmm. So although you don't see it particularly well in that shot, uh, there's still the cobbles from the, um, I guess, you know, very late, or very, yeah, very early 19, uh, 20th century are still mm-hmm. there, which are the... The blue, um, I forget what what stones they are now, but they're made essentially. They're made from the a byproduct from the steelworks, oh, um, yeah. which is this kind of like a blue sort of like bluey grey colour. Oh, cool! Well, um, every time we pass a cobbly lane, uh, this this one's for you, Erin. Me mum always says, "Ah, learn to roller skate on those <laughs> back in like the sixties or seventies." Can you teach me? On <laughs> <laughs> you can roller skate on them. You can roller skate on anything. I mean, <laughs> truly. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, so like uh, all of the kind of backgrounds for uh, the portraits, like kind of signifiers of each of these creatives, kind of um, like working class kind of background and what that means to them. I thought another uh, piece in this exhibition that did that in a really cool and uh, unique way was Play Hard. By Michaela, yeah. correct me if this is incorrect. Shauna, Shauna, Shauna Short, Shauna Short. Yeah. Um, which was mint. It was like a slot machine. Like so, it was a kind of like you pressed a button and then stuff happens. Like the slots went round, and uh, it was all um, like illustrated. Um, so it wasn't like like your your usual online slot machine. Yeah. Um, and each like image was like a different signifier of something that's um, like kind of like working class associated. So I think one of them was like a broken washing machine um, and like a, a newspaper. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so like I had I had a, a few goes because um, uh, obviously like any slot machine, you don't get a winning row all at once. Mm-hmm. You got to work for it. <laughs> you got to work hard and play hard. Um, <laughs> And I'd, the, when you, whenever you would get a, a winning row, it would like kind of pop up with like a relevant bit of um, like text, like something to do with that, or like a bit of information. Um, and I mean, some of them are great. And it's one of those things where when you hear like other people talk about like working class people, you get really mad because obviously how they're talking about it, especially the sun. There was one <laughs> where you get when you get three rolled up newspapers in a row. It's um, uh, an excerpt from a Sun like article from 2010, which is about the sun declaring war on feckless benefits claimants. And that's kind of, to be fair, I don't know if that's anything I've heard in the news in a bit, but probably because there's a pandemic going on is about like benefits scroungers, but it's kind of that thing, like what, it was like a million shows, like Benefit Street and like all that kind of yeah. stuff, which just kind of glorifies this kind of poverty porn. And I mean, I think to people who who aren't from a working class background, I imagine that's kind that is that is the look, isn't it? That's yeah. kind of um Well my that mom, is what it looks like. 
I couldn't agree more. My mum actually, so because I'm so confused and baffled by social class, I rang my mum this morning to have a brief oh. conversation with her, like with her just about what is it? Who are we? What is this thing? And she told me, so she was from the South and traveled around a lot, but predominantly like London-y. And she reckons that she'd never she'd never experienced working class people or the working class before she moved to the north and I find that eye-opening that really like shocked me so she really (laughs) doesn't think that she really well what she believes is that like working class as we know it as we're talking about it today is a uniquely northern thing so I don't know. Oh, I mean, okay. I do, that's one woman's theory. So I thought mm. I'd throw it out there because it links to what you're saying. It's, I don't know, is it like how, what's the tie between like like Northern and working class? Because I do think a lot of people in the country like don't really understand the experiences mm-hmm. of working class people and rely on shows like Jeremy Kyle and Benefit Street and Channel 5 documentaries and The Sun. <laughs> And that's just really upsetting and dangerous thinking. And it's really warped. But I'm interested in like how and why. I think when it comes to um, media and I've been doing a lot about media, but about women in media, just researching on me independently. But you come across stuff about working class and it's all negative. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to... You know, so a big thing, people love the crime stuff and that, like I do in that. Like when someone like Maddie McCann went missing, um, it was very much like her parents were doctors, you know, like mm. the sweet and innocent child. And they got um, like sort of, don't get me wrong, but then you have like a Sharon, Shannon Matthews story and it mm-hmm. was like how they, how they depicted the parents and they had the class thing in the way. So I think it's more how it's portrayed in the the media and I didn't really think about the whole like it's only just up here I honestly thought it was throughout the country everywhere Mm -hmm. yeah I mean it's one of those things I have predominantly lived up here so this is like the experience I've got I'm like oh well this is like the world to me at the very least maybe it's just a different interpretation in London because it's such um it's so different to up north in that you have extreme wealth and then extreme poverty mm. that maybe it's beyond the kind of, you know, white collar, blue collar, working class, uh, middle class, upper class thing. It's just gone to a whole other level. Um, whereas, I mean, it, I suppose my interpretation is that it doesn't matter who you are. If you're from the northeast, you're almost automatically a working class or or, mm. or seen as that way, I suppose. So maybe it's just that there's a much stronger contingent here. And also I'd like to say I would like to, I think we should take ownership of the term benefit sheet and start pointing it at the people at the top instead. Yeah, let's take it and back. The, and the and thing is, 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 I did quite a lot of research a few years ago um, and it was when the government changed um from, from Labour to, to Tories, but then the particularly, as, as you've said there, then really started coming down on this whole thing of benefit cheats, but also looking at disability and being people who were faking it. And yeah. 
and that was like you know that for me was the you know the red rag to the bull to be honest with you um and i kind of i, I guess touched upon it um in an exhibition that i did uh, called deformed of which is um you know michaela had a few pieces from that show but one of the things that was really interesting in terms of the actual figures to the publicized figures so for example with um with disability benefits um the daily mail put out a head i mean this was front page of the i think they called it the, the feckless uh fakers or something like that was a headline and they put it out at 75 percent of people who were claiming disability benefits uh, are claiming so fraudulently but the actual figure which was never put out but it's on the dwp's on you know on figures is not 0.7 percent uh, but that's including clerical errors from the DWP themselves. Oh, how are you, man? So when you kind of look at that, mm-hmm. people see the 75% and you know, get enraged. But also what happened was then hate crime towards people with disabilities shot up. And in some mm-hmm. areas, it shot up over 68%. Absolutely. But also hate against people from the working classes also rose. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, that was really a constructed story of manipulation and, you know, things like, you know, say all that poverty porn and shit came through as well. And, you know, that really drove a wedge between even the working class communities because Mm -hmm. of so much misinformation. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't just one or two stories. It was hounded over several years, which then created a narrative which was completely and utterly fictitious. And I feel like a lot of it is making it like you've... It's almost like blaming people, like you, yeah, and yeah. I feel like that's how they did it. They changed the narrative yeah. to be, well, if you're poor, it's because you yeah. you're just not working hard enough. If yeah. you were born working class, it's just because you've not worked, yeah. you know, you've just not worked hard enough to be to, to yeah, yeah. Move socially upwards. But and it is, but but the thing that's really interesting of where you know, I mean, again, if you look at the figures of. All disability benefits, you know, regardless whether it's disability benefit or whatever, but all of them lumped together. Fraudulent claims, again, including um, clerical errors for disability benefits, which predominant or not disability benefits, which predominantly uh, claimed for by people in poverty, is one point two billion quid to two point uh, to two billion quid per year. Benefits and tax evasion by the super rich is 120 billion quid per year on average. So guess which is being targeted? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's an easy target. It's a war war against working classes by the ruling elite. Absolutely. And I also want to thank you for bringing kind of the like the voices of disabled people to the forefront of your work and like to bring that into focus because it's such a big part of my life I identify as a carer my big brother's got autism and I don't know it's just a big part of like I find it so difficult to think about my social class without thinking about my life being a carer um and you know the things my parents did you know neither of them worked for various reasons both associated with autism and it's it changes the framework you're so right and it it's so important to be aware of these nuances and obviously it applies to so many other you know like working class northern 
queer people, oh, for totally. example, or yeah. transgender people, great example, or, black or women, people, it's you know. women, absolutely. Yeah. And I just think it's, yeah, there's so much nuance and it is all about... Oh, there this, is, this and, and I think... think the status quo, yeah. yeah. Sorry, carry on. And I, and I think, you know, it's... Uh, Oh, no, no, not not at all. I mean, just, just following on what you're saying there, it's a really deliberate um, sort of wedge of narrative to divide people because if you're divided, it's way easier to be able to control against the minorities, you know, regardless mm-hmm. what that minority is. If you've got mm-hmm. a misinformation program going on, it's prolonged then it's much easier to control that, that that narrative of oppression, for want of a word. Um, you know, and I think for myself, it's, you know, my, my work, you know, it isn't just disability orientated. It's becoming more so over the last few years. Um, but, you know, for a lot of years, I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't touch it with a badge pole. I just wasn't ready within myself or strong enough within myself to be able to... Um, defend the work that would be created because you know some of the images are quite hard hitting because you know but you know in terms of you know certainly deformed for example which was the first project that i ever did which looked at disability but from my own personal lived experience so you know with that it was kind of looking at you know deformity you know of which i've got but looking at it is this is my view of it this is what i look at every day and then looking at, you know, some of the most, um, you know, sort of like uh, aggressive surgical procedures and just highlighting them with blood, but then looking at the sculptural shapes and forms of deformed limbs. But the very last image is prosthetic hook, which is, <clears throat> it's covered in blood with a, a drip of blood coming off and there's a wonderful little globule of blood hanging midair. And it's just like, God, that took forever. It was like eight <laughs> hours or something stupid. But that was the political image of all of it. Mm. It's like, this is all yeah. personal experience, but shared experience. This, you know, It's not just me. This is hundreds of thousands of people living this day in, day out. But that very last image, this is the political statement. But again, I had to make sure that the figures that it was referencing were true and mm-hmm. could be cross-referenced. But mm-hmm. as I say, I had to be in a place where I was comfortable to defend it if I had to. Yeah. But, you know, luckily enough, I've never really had to, not vigorously <laughs> <Yes>. anyway. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm glad you said that because I've actually, I actually felt a little bit, I know what you mean about the, having to defend it uh, as an artist and, like, the things I've had, like, you know, it took me a long time to kind of decide to use art to talk about mental health and things but yeah. I actually had it just before this conversation because I don't honestly know where I think I've said this like three times already I have no yeah. idea what social class I am and that's scary yeah. because it's like I don't it's like it's not even that I don't want to associate with it it's like I kind of do, even if I choose to reject it or embrace it or whatever but like it's that feeling like a fraud. But then mm-hmm. one of the pieces, one of the people you uh, spoke to and photographed and included in the project said something along those lines. I can't remember who it was and I should have written it down and I'm sorry. But it was the, I think it was bullet points. Oh, yeah, Kathy Sprague. And one of them was feeling yeah. like an imposter and I'm like, oh, yeah. oh my God. Like, And I was, 
I just was going through it really quickly before this conversation yeah. and I've re-listened to that yeah, one yeah. and I was like oh my god everything's gonna be okay yeah. <laughs> and I think that's so <laughs> fundamental like that is a yeah. northern thing like that's a working class thing how you felt there maybe is like yeah. feeling like you have to defend yourself even when no one's gonna question you um yeah so yeah it's something that I thought about a lot Megan the work um so the the name of the work is pain in the back of my neck which for the older crowd they might recognize where it's from but it's from the frost report which was a sketch with the two ronnies and another actor whose name i've forgotten but um it's basically a working class guy a middle class guy and an upper class guy john John cleese thank you i shouldn't forget that name but um (laughs) basically that they're all kind of saying i look down to him but i look up to him and then at the end the the working class guy goes i've got a pain in the back of my neck because he's so busy looking up at them (laughs) and i think one of the interesting things about class in england is that it used to be a lot more defined so with the jobs that we used to do um and the you know the places that were lived and all of these things it used to be very you know you work here therefore you're working class whereas i think now it's much more vague in that um so one of the issues that i have is that i work in academia I sound working class. My life is working class. That's what I understand. But then it's this sort of um, not knowing where you belong anymore, as you said. And it's it's a mixture of things. It's imposter syndrome in terms of me working in an academic institution, but also immediate judgment at the same time from, Mm. in this case that I'm talking about accents, but immediate judgment or this person is working class. So I'm going to treat them ever so slightly differently. And whereas that sort of treatment would have been more overt in the past, it's much Mm. more subtle now. And you Mm. couldn't necessarily say to somebody like, you're discriminating me because of my class. It's because it's much more like, oh, maybe we'll take the make out of their accent in Mm. in a professional environment, or maybe we'll do this. And it's just those sort of little differences that maybe, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe in the past it was better because it would have just been like, you, sir, <laughs> was, like, you're yeah, yeah. Class, you know? <laughs> Easier to understand um, at the very least. <laughs> yeah, at least you knew where you, you sat, whereas now it's a lot more kind of, of a vague environment, I think. I think because people are now, you know, it's not just it's not just us who we're talking about it, you know, there's a lot of other people. And I think now because the North East have such a big art community, and it's amazing and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger that people are now embracing it and taking on their identity and I think the backlash of that is they did this study where they had all these um, professionals and it was a sociology study um, and they like interviewed like 116 people and a bunch of them identified as working class because their grandparents were like mm. worked in the mills and that but oh, but their wow. father was like an architecture and they went to private school but they didn't go to the really posh private school they went to like mm. this sort of private school so they identify as working class and and right I wonder wrong, if those people that were questioned were from the south midlands mm-hmm. north like that does matter yeah. I think I think it's yeah it, it's an interesting point now because I think um, sort of like Bobby Benjamin actually touches up on that within his sort of statement of, you know, this people... is my favourite statement. Yeah, to be yeah. honest with you, I think it's... God, I, yeah. I remember actually when he sent me it over and I listened to it and my... The, the response, I'm getting them now, I was just... It was just goosebumps. Mm-hmm. And I listened back again and it was just, oh my God, 
<laughs> and every time yeah. I listen to it, I still have that, oh, my God, because, you know, he says it so succinctly with, you know, it's such a strong Teesside accent, mm-hmm. but the points he's making are absolutely 100% on the, you know, on, on the button with it, really. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and, and he's absolutely right. You know, people, you know, are being paid a massive amount of, of money to do studies on the working classes and still don't get what the working classes is. You know, why not, you know, if, if you're going to invest that, invest it into, you know, the, the people who've that, you know, got that lived experience, you know, who are working class artists who, you know, come from the areas, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and it's, you know, and it's, you know, I think, you know, it's this, I think he says in his statement, you know, even doing this statement is probably going to work against me in the long yeah. run. <laughs> and it's, you know, and it is, you know, it is so true, you know, that's, you know, that is a real possibility. But then the conviction he's got is, you know, bugger it. Yeah, I'm saying it anyway. My absolute favourite is, we are the square pegs that don't fit in with these well-rounded arseholes. Arseholes, exactly, (laughs) yes. (laughs) I was like, that's it. That is it. That is it. That is absolutely it. On a banner. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he needs to merge that somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I mean that—that that is a t-shirt job, isn't yeah. it? And to be worn with pride. Uh, to be honest with you, that is one of the statements which that really it, that that nails it. There's going to be a single statement out of the whole yeah. of the statements of the guys that that you know that that sent them in. That one line, that yeah. is it. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I do love though. Um, um, he obviously kind of talks very um, transparently about his experiences and how that reflects more broadly on mm. like working class uh, creatives. But uh, something that I wrote down that he said, which is a hundred percent true, and something I love, and I think it's part of being from this working class or maybe specifically northeastern we've kind of discussed how it's kind of hard to necessarily tell them apart but he says we create opportunities for ourselves and each other we support ourselves and each other we don't conform or contort to fit into the box that the industry wants to put us in and that's one of those things where it's like since I like moved uh, back from uni here and like started the podcast and getting to meet all you lovely people it's like oh yeah everyone just helps each other out everyone's kind of all about that really collaborative way of working and I couldn't literally couldn't imagine how it could be any different mm-hmm. um but I think it's very much part of a northern mentality of all oh, right they're not going to do it for we'll just do it ourselves yeah. um and you see that a lot I've I think I've made this reference before like a lot of um like art spaces for example like pineapple blacks from an old new look and so many like kind of studio spaces and gallery spaces are all temporary because it's like in an old like shopping center or something like that, where it's like, until something better comes along, you can have this and we're just like, right, we'll make it work. And then people will create amazing, like beautiful things out of it. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, again, haven't really lived too many other places, but like that seems like a very kind of Northern and maybe it could be the kind of working class uh, ties that kind of bind that all together. But I just, I just really liked that. I think I was maybe towards the end of of the statement, but I really loved that one. Yeah. And I think a big thing up in the northeast is, you know, as you'll all know, as you've all heard of it, we've talked about it. We talked about it a lot on that live podcast we did about <laughs> you got to go to London, you got to go to London, you got to go to Soundhouse, you got to move country, you got to do this to be working in the arts. And I think a big mm-hmm. thing up here now is like actually, it's a it could be a great job for you. You can come up for uni up here and yeah. actually work and live and be an artist, be a creative. Mm-hmm. I don't think 
a couple of years ago, not a couple of years, like 10, 15 years ago, you couldn't probably do that. And that's from people just mm-hmm. going, no, I'm not moving. I'm going to stay here and I'm going to actually create this, the spaces and the job. Possibly not jobs because <laughs> yeah. a lot of the time it's like, <laughs> it's like little bits. But... <laughs> yeah. But but the thing is, though, Michaela, is that, you know, the artist community is creating those spaces. It is creating that um, that community which is, you know, it, it's, it, it really is like throwing a pebble into a still pond and, and seeing that ripples yeah. move out. And, you know, then when the ripples are coming back in, you know, they're, they're creating other, um, mm-hmm. I guess, other effects. But, you know, it, it is a, a well-interlinked um, sort of, like, community. And the support for each other within that is absolutely amazing. And I'm not sure you would get that in London, yeah. you know, or, mm-hmm. you know, one of the other places because it's so cutthroat, mm-hmm. whereas up here it's like, oh, yeah, I can X, Y, Z. Oh, if you haven't got that, look at this. Here's a here's a contact, get in touch with them. And the network isn't held on. It's actually yeah. spread yeah. and mm-hmm. spread and spread. And I think that's one of the, the great things that the Northeast has, but it's always had it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I do you know, feel it, it's, like there's a, <coughs> a certain level of like gatekeeping and you see it, you see it all the time yeah. in galleries and like, um, you know, more like prestigious art institutions and things where it's just like, and it's what I've been saying, people that like sound like us and talk like us and potentially look like us and come from the places we come from aren't necessarily as welcome there. But yeah. up here, I think it you can see the change like you can see that like there is there are people fighting against that w- even within those institutions and that's yeah. really comforting <laughs> and i think the great thing about the northeast is that there is the space and the opportunity to explore creativity in whichever way you're doing it so if you're a musician an artist you know uh, a curator a uh, pod- podcaster um you, there's the room and ability whereas somewhere like london um, you have to have money to even function. So mm-hmm. I, there was a point at which I was, because of my job, I was down there with my job and I thought, well, if I had to move my life here, how would that work? A studio, a shared studio, a desk in a studio would cost us somewhere around £900 per month. So... <gasps> what, really? Yeah. What? <laughs> so that's a shared studio as well. <laughs> yeah and and then that's not that your is, home that rent ridiculous. that's not your travel your food and all that's the stuff literally rent and bills <laughs> yeah and it, i mean if you imagine some I, I think one of the the great things for me is that i've always worked in the national glass center i had my own studio there and the space that were literal space that were allowed but also mind space means that i'm able to be more experimental go larger make larger sculptures whereas i imagine if i was sitting at a desk in a room full of other people, then you wouldn't, you have that mental or physical space oh to breathe either. It's so, like, yeah, I'm just trying to think, it's like, how, how do you get, you know, I mean, if, if you're in that sort of a situation, it's like, I know when I'm, you know, beginning to scratch ideas out, it's like, I need to have that sort of solidarity, mm. uh, not solidarity, solid, solitude, sorry. Mm. And if there's somebody in my space, even if the cat comes in, sometimes I have to get, you know, <laughs> Out you go, because I need to really focus on on what I'm doing. And if you're in a shared space, <laughs> oh yeah, that would yeah, that would be just horrendous, to be honest. 
You know, yeah, I, I couldn't even imagine that, to be honest with you. And those prices, oh my yeah. God. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, a large part, I mean, especially for doing like film at uni, a large part of why so much industry still, I say still, it'll always exist in London and down south and stuff. But like like I said, a lot of my class were from there anyway. So they could, they, I say they could just go off. They obviously still worked hard to get like their internships and stuff. But I mean, a thing I haven't really touched on is like the expectation of unpaid work in the kind of creative industries. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they can just live with the parents and do an unpaid internship, then great. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's great. And then that obviously just kind of perpetuates the cycle further because then you can get all the experience you want to get the job that you really want and then eventually work up and do that. But since there's none of those opportunities up here, like I kind of just... Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if BBC Radio 1 do, like, internships or whatever, but, like, the, the telly don't. So, like, I was remember, like, being in my first year reunion, I was like, right, let's get some experience. And I was like, for when I'm, like, back home in the summer and that, I was like, hmm, actually, <laughs> I don't know what I can do. Yeah. So it's just one of those things where you just kind of stopped at the door for a lot of, um, like, it a lot also, of things like that. It also sort of bothers me that, like, and I know this should, maybe it shouldn't, but because me and Alice, like, met at uni, so I know exactly what you're talking about and it bothers me maybe that they took places at Leeds University when there was potentially a maybe a working class person who couldn't travel away and they took their place and that bothers me too and like I know you can't like get pedantic like that but it's just like <laughs> it's like the brain drain working the opposite way where it's like you can't come to the north take our really cool education, live in our really cheap flats and then leave and get good jobs and spend your money somewhere that isn't here. (laughs) So that, yeah, and it's, and a lot of that is to do with, I'm going to say it because I have to say every episode, cultural capital. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I will say, though, on a positive note about volunteering and that, I totally get it. I totally get why people can't do it. But I have done volunteering in the past, internships, and every one of them, because it was in the Northeast, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm now a curator in the Northeast, has kind of paid off. As in, they've helped us, they've given us opportunities, I've got artists from it, I've got like support from them. So that's, it kind of has helped. Well, no, that's it. It's it's that they they do work. Mm-hmm. They absolutely do work. Um, and like so I managed to do some um, mildly directly related to my degree. Like I volunteered at a film festival for a bit, but then in subsequent years, I've got jobs, so I've been able to mm-hmm. be paid to come back down and do some work there and stuff like that. Um, but I mean, and for the northeast, it's definitely like the creative industries are definitely broadening. It's like you were saying, Kev, kind of like throwing something in a pond and seeing all the ripples come out. Like it's happening and we're getting there. Um, and I think it's just one of those things. I think more things need to hurry up from down south and get here a bit quicker, I think. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking on the same note as the sort of unpaid internships. I would I would agree that if obviously if you're in a in a position where you can do them, they're great. But then not everyone mm-hmm. can. But the one thing that's peeving me at the minute, and it's because I'm in a position to be peeved, is paid opportunity, like pay for opportunities. Oh yeah. So paying yeah. to apply mm. for shows or paying to apply for competitions. That's crazy. It feels like a scam. It feels like a scam. <laughs> but even I mean, 
some things are like £25 and you're like £25 per work and then maybe somebody might want to answer and enter three works and who can do that? And even, you mm-hmm. know, if you're in the position where you can pay for it, I want people to stop paying for it because I feel like <laughs> if we're all, con- what in what world are you like as your career choosing to be an artist where you're paying the gallery to show your work mm-hmm. like I, I, it's mm-hmm. it's a madness and it's the way we're only because we don't have self-worth and you know it's it's that classic thing of artists being sort of you know begging for shows or whatever but yeah I think that's just one thing that is like again a gatekeeper of keeping people out who can't afford to apply to things and their talent could be astronomical compared to the people who are actually able to afford it but we'll never know because they can't and yeah. I just yeah <laughs> sorry I'm getting off my yeah. no no I completely agree no I totally get that but I think to sort of like counterpoint it you've then got people like Michaela who you know sees the absolute worth of the artists and the projects you know that, that you're doing are just amazing I mean it's like well, well to be honest I mean you know for me I've you know I've had what two exhibitions now with you and I you know I was blown away that I was you know offered the opening exhibition for um, for Pink Collar with the um, uh, first night last night um, sort of exhibition, which was the you know the, the look at Newcastle during lockdown and then coming out of lockdown, you know, and it's just like I, you know I was I was oh, gobsmacked. I remember saying you, like I thought I was you know I was one of I was well you know this is why she invited you back. Credit where it's, credit <laughs> where it's due, but no, I mean the thing is though is like. No, you are sourcing really good artists, both, you know, local, region, national and, you know, sort of like international with what you're doing with your other work. But it's absolutely vital in the work that you're doing and, you know, and other galleries to use that model and to be able to, you know, have that platform for people which can then be used as a springboard so as we're not paying for, you know, our work to be on show. But it's also, you know, it, in terms of um, it's giving us the self-worth and the confidence that a gallery sees what you're doing, sees the value in that. And that is, you know, you can't big that up enough, mm-hmm. to be honest okay. with you. <laughs> I um, A big thing with me is, um, because I'm always learning, I'm always, I've only been doing this, what, like, properly, a couple of years. Um, and... I like believe in the artist as in like I'm not going to tell you what to do because that's not my job (laughs) my job is to support and show and like so I'm always quite relaxed of like I trust you I trust what you're going to do with the work so like the whole working class thing I know I knew no one was going to be like doing anything shite (laughs) (laughs) anything shite I've been burned like twice I think that's about it not not on this exhibition but um yeah it's always having trust and I'm hopefully doing a a, well I am going to do it but I can't really talk about it yet but it's a a project and it's all going to be about the curator and the artist and like really developing them relationships because I think it is like curators are like they think they're up here mm. and maybe I do think I'm up here but, <laughs> <laughs> but um I don't want I don't want to be like this kind of like I'm, I'm up here and you have to like I can't do my job if I don't have good artists so that's kind of like what you have to go by because it's not 
it's not my, I, I haven't come up with the idea, but I can't come up with the work. I wanted to add to that because it's the first time that I've worked with Michaela. Um, and when she invited me to, to work on a piece of work and she was asking us what I was doing, well, I had a phone call and I was like, right, I've got this idea where I'm going to work with a voice coach and I'm going to try and eliminate my accent. And she was like, oh yeah, yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, because you are so like encouraging and you were just like, yep, great. You know, I trust you, what you're going to do. I came off the phone. I was like, she hates it. <laughs> she doesn't like it. Because <laughs> you had absolute trust that it was going to go well. I was like, oh no. <laughs> so now that I've gotten to know you, I know that that's fine. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I have to like say no. I, I really, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> really like, yeah, That sounds good. Yeah. Sounds good. I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll tell you something. But it, it's it's your vision. Um, me and Kev talk a lot, like through it, and um, some artists like that. Some artists want more feedback. Some artists just get on with it. Yeah. I, um, John, John J- James Frangie, who's one of the other artists too, we talked a lot, and he was so excited just to be a part of it. And he made an incredible video. Like, yeah. like I, I want to say, kid, because he's so young, is <laughs> <laughs> just gonna do amazing things. Uh, so, totally agree. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, I think. On that remarkably positive, lovely note of <laughs> singing Michaela's praises, uh, I think we can. I can all day. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put all this on a loop for you, Michaela, and send it along. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, I think we can probably uh, wrap up there because it's been over an hour. It's Ooh. crazy. It's a, a great one to jump back into, though. Um, but I mean, this show is mint. Yep. When is it on until Michaela? How long can people check it out? It's for? on until the fifteenth of May. And it's yes. on um, pinkcollargallery.com, all online. Yes. It's pink-collargallery.com. I, yes. used, I used to forget dash. where the dash was, um, but now I remember. Yeah. Uh, this has been amazing. Thank you so much, Erin, Kevin, Michaela, for coming and having a chat oh, to thank us. You. Thank you. Ooh, one more thing that I want to thank Michaela for. <laughs> get, get ready, Michaela. <laughs> get ready. I'd like to thank you. I like it's very topical because it's a like Northern Voices thing. I'd really like to thank you for putting audio to all of the words on Pink Collar Gallery because as a dyslexic, and as you may have noticed, someone who has a podcast and therefore loves listening to voices, it's <laughs> so helpful for me to like become really involved in the gallery experience so I just thought I'd like I just yeah need to share that because I assume the people listening if people are still with us after an hour hello mm. thank you <laughs> <laughs> um it's it's a very easy thing to make it a little bit more accessible. that's it it will make such a big difference yeah. so thank you and as I say yeah I feel like listeners will also appreciate that <laughs> you just have to hear this very Mackham voice <laughs> lovely Mikhail, established that it's lovely yeah. <laughs> all amazing uh thanks everyone for joining me um we'll like to end uh podcasts with either like another good thing or um something that you might be looking forward to doing um i know Michaela, you have a, a very cool thing that's going to be happening sometime soon i'd love mm, to yes, hear about please. it thank you so I have been, I got an amazing um, call in January by an artist called Tallulah Lines, 
who is currently, she's from Newcastle, which is currently in Mexico. And she wanted to do this feminist project about femicide, which is all about um, the murder of women by men. And we've been working hard behind scenes um, with her group and my gallery, when I say my gallery, me. <laughs> and we're going to do an open call and it's open this Friday and it's going to be an amazing online exhibition work all about femicide, how it's portrayed in the media. So we even did this before the Sarah Everard case came up. Um, there's horrible like statistics of it, like um, like one in what is it? Every three days, a woman will be killed by a man in the UK. In Mexico, it is absolutely crazy what's going on over there. Um, it's like every it's like eleven women. What is it? I've got it written down. Eleven women per day are murdered in Mexico, usually by partners or ex-partners, and ninety-seven of these cases will go to trial don't get they don't get convicted at all and another one is gender-based violence committed by men is the biggest killer of women aged 19 to 44 in the world (gasps) leading to more deaths than malaria and car accidents combined i can't even believe that's real like i can't believe that is even a statistic so we're going to do a big open call exhibition um and then out of that we are selecting five uk artists and five mexican artists to create public artwork so I've got three um, organisations in the northeast uh, who are going to be working together. One of them is Pineapple Black, uh, oh, nice. Tees Valley Arts and Durham University, and two of the ones that are completely open for people to interpret it. And hopefully it's, it's all funded. We've got funded by the Arts Council, so everyone gets paid yeah. and it's all amazing. Um, all the details are on my website and it's going to come up on Friday. Um, and I think it's going to be in a really amazing so that's april Um, 3rd that it's like open so it'll well by the time everyone listens to this podcast it would have come out the open call would have started the day before so if you listen to this the day this comes out and the subsequent week uh you can apply and find out more about it and get paid and get paid (laughs) you get paid for the commission yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) well if someone thinks they're getting paid for applying they need like a wake-up call It's gonna be it's and like I don't I don't know how many people will not what listen to this who aren't into the arts, but you don't have to be an artist. You can there's no there's no kind of thing. So like tell that. your friends. It's gonna be Yeah, it's gonna be good. <laughs> oh, amazing. That's a great thing. Um Kev, have you got anything that you'd like to kind of promote or shout about? Anything that you're looking forward to doing? Oh, um I'm getting back into rehearsing. Um sort of like I wanna get a aiming to get a, a solo um, set together again, which I haven't done for quite a while. Um, so I'm back into playing my didge, um, which is half mm. killing me, to be honest <laughs> with you. Because <laughs> it's like, um, I know Mikhail has seen us play, so when I play didgeridoo, it's, it's, good. it's not drifty, weirdy sort of stuff. It's, it's hardcore, very beat-driven mm. and multi-layered. But all multi-layered without effects. It's just me doing it. Um, oh, sounds sick! So I'm just kind of getting a set together to do that, and um, I'm yeah, I've kind of started a new private project, which is looking at long exposures of, I guess, nature. Um, so I'm predominantly looking at the moment at waves and birds in flight, but on 
really long exposures. So some of the exposures are like up to two minutes long. Mm. Um, when I'm photographing birds, they're like maybe anywhere between three to ten seconds. So you kind of get in the whole fluidity of movement. So I'm kind of experimenting with that at Ooh. the moment. That sounds yeah, awesome. Cool. Very cool. Nice. Erin, anything to plug, promote, or shout about? Yes, can I do a double plug? I have a double plug. Oh, you <laughs> just certainly so may. <laughs> Take a double plug, please. Yeah. So uh, first off, um, the uh, Baltic Open um, is online and it is due yeah. to open on the 19th of May. You can actually go inside and see the work. So my little mum's been sat in there for about three or four months oh. gathering dust. So oh, you poor mum. Everyone, <laughs> our tea will be cold. I know, our tea will be cold. <laughs> she's covered in dust. So people need to go in and have a chat with her because she's very, very bored. Um, so that's a bit lonely. <laughs> yeah, she's lonely. She's not had her telly on for like three months. Um, so yes, please go and see her and say hello. And the other one is Cheeseburn opens on the 22nd of May which I'm sure everyone's going to go to anyway but um yes that's one I think they're <laughs> almost sold out of tickets as well so you need to book um and yes I, I'm making a work for it I haven't made it yet I've got 10 days so wish me luck good luck Aaron come to the wire yeah I don't I'll leave everything last minute <laughs> yeah whatever it is <laughs> I mean, that links in real good to what I'm looking forward to because I just got my tickets for Cheeseburn yesterday. <gasps> so I didn't know you were going to have a piece in there. So that's amazing. Oh, lovely. <laughs> Don't think anyone Very did. excited to see this. <laughs> like Erin doesn't sound like she's even convinced. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed. I've got faith. Uh, what am I looking forward to? Oh, I've got a recommendation and something I'm looking forward to combined. Ooh. So... I've read, I'm really impressed with myself. Dyslexic Me has read 15 books in this year. Woo-hoo. Thank you. A little round of applause. That's, oh my God, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the best book I've read so far was called Staying Alive in Toxic Times, A Seasonal Guide to Lifelong Health by Dr. Jenny Goodman. And uh, It's just the book. It is the book. So it goes on about like, it's basically like common sense, a lot of stuff we already know, like drink a lot of water and like cut down on sugar. And But it really goes into like the depths of like, why? <laughs> like, why do we have to do that? And but also stuff like, um, I don't know, like pollution and how that impacts the body and just generally how to live more like an actual animal, like live with the seasons be gentle with your body and listen to what it needs and give it to it so after this I'm gonna go and do my new ritual on a Wednesday after work I have an Epsom salts bath to replenish my magnesium which is something that the body literally loses when stressed so as a person with generalized anxiety disorder I am definitely magnesium deficient and I now know this so I'm gonna have an oh pro tip guys if you want to have a medicinal epsom salts bath you have to use between 250 to 500 grams for it to actually soak into your muscles and relax you so epsom salts baths my new absolute religion (laughs) so that was a lot 
this has basically been my life like because I'm really into like <laughs> I'm really into like I want to like learn how to like forage and like actually eat more seasonally and stuff and that, that I'm really into that sort of stuff but this has now given me like the science knowledge that I need to like become a true hippie love it I'm, I've been on this journey my whole life and every year it just gets better <laughs> I'm very impressed by your plants in the background so I'll fully wholeheartedly oh, support you. the hippiness oh that's maybe 10% of the plants in her apartment and like. these are only the ones that are going to live outside in the summer because these are like beans and stuff <laughs> got some basil <laughs> got some coriander loads of beans mainly love beans it. love beans <laughs> magical fruit don't you know <laughs> anyway <laughs> I'm clearly you know when I'm talking nonsense it's time to go so <laughs> thank you everyone for being here it's been a while for like me and Alice so this was wonderful like come back and have a whole horde of people to talk to we missed you well yeah thanks guys uh if you want to check out more about uh this exhibition definitely check out the pink color definitely check out the pink color gallery instagram and that as well for the open call information definitely check out all these works i didn't get to talk about all of them so there's some great ones by uh john james Paranji and mark parham um and if you want to hear more about us or see like because we usually do like little uh pictures and stuff about the things we talk about on our instagram just hey out what's good twitter hey out what's good uh give an email hey what's good.com and i think that's everything so yeah we'll link everyone's stuff yeah when relevant so you can find them yeah cool. so yeah thanks for listening and thanks for joining me bye